Listening to Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar, the show where we chat about the films of our childhood and yours over an adult beverage. As always, I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and with me in studio, co host of the program, Mr. Nate Up Padel. How are we doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, but first off, this uh. Sunday at the Metrodome. The Suds Buds team up with none other than John Cena to take on Kings of Leon in a no-holds-barred ambulance-on-a-pole match. Who'll win? As the butt-rock band dukes it out with two of the most jacked human beings on the planet along with the help of Mr. Cena. No other than Mr. Rock Johnson as special guest referee. This Sunday... At the Metrodome. Tickets available on Ticketmaster.com. Thanks for that word from our sponsors. Hey, man. They promised a hell of a promo last week, or I guess we did. And uh, shit, man, they delivered. I never thought we would... Uh, I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe a fine line or maybe first ab or something. But getting a Metrodome booking, that's, that's freaking huge for the Buds of Suds. It's pretty crazy that they're going to rebuild the Metrodome just for our, uh, our grudge match against Butt Rock... Butt rock band Kings of Leon. Yeah, and the fact that they're gonna get it done by this Sunday. I mean, well, you know, you get you got people. Uh, people work quick when they want to see something like this. That's true. The resurrection of the dome. Exactly. It'll actually be taking place of uh, Olympics programming. Well, so it's a worldwide broadcast. We're just giving the people what they want to see. Uh, exactly, and that's and I get that. You know, we do it for you guys. I mean, table tennis versus. Two podcasters teaming up with a legendary pro wrestler to kill the Kings of Leon. I not think ch- not just fight him, apparently. Yeah, no, I mean it's no holds barred, dude. Ambulance on a pole match is uh, is that a thing in wrestling? Yeah, dude. So basically, the first team to uh, climb the pole and retrieve the ambulance, uh, oh kill, yeah. kills Kings of Leon. <laughs> so if Kings of Leon climb the pole and retrieve the ambulance, then they kill the Suds Buds. Oh, okay, I got yeah. you. I got you. But you're just so confident in our chances. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about the the downside of this. That's true. Either way, we're getting paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very excited for this. I mean, even though he's supposed to be neutral in the situation, I'm really stoked to meet Mr. Rock Johnson. I mean, the Dwayne Rock the Dwayne Johnson has been one of my one of the most influential figures in my life. Um, he's got a great smile. He does have a really nice smile. Them pearly whites. He just—he looks like he could be the happiest person on earth. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's like the dad that all of us who had good dads never thought we needed. But like, I got room for a couple dads, I guess. Exactly. Like, I'd love to go on a fishing trip to Canada with my dad and Mr. Rock Johnson. I'm sure that would be a great time. It'd be a great time. He'd probably bring some of his uh, tequila, Terramana. I I always get nervous when celebrities like endorse or like try to make their own like liquor brand. His is good. Is it? Okay. I will say, I'm not a big tequila guy, but I'm also very wary on celebrity-endorsed products. Uh, But I uh. will say, um, his tequila and Clooney's tequila are, they're passable. Okay. Uh, Have you had Snoop Dogg's gin yet? 
I've not, but so funny story about that. I went home. Oh man, this had to have been sometime this spring. And my mom was talking about, cause my mom's never liked gin. Me and my mm-hmm. dad do. And she was talking about how I got this gin that I really like. It's just super nice. It's got like this, this strawberry flavor to it. And it's really pleasant. And I mix it with my, my LaCroix and like going on and on about this gin. And I, she pulls it out and it is a bottle of, is it indigo or indago? I think it's indago. In, she pulls out a bottle of indago, and I just start snickering. And she's like, "Do you want to try it?" Or no, she goes, "Have you tried it?" And I'm like, "I haven't, but I want to now." And I try it, and she's like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "It kind of tastes like perfume, but uh, I'm like, yeah. Did you know that Snoop Dogg's gin, Mom?" She's like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's the official gin of the the mother effing do double G, Snoop Dogg." <laughs> and she was like, "Really?" Mr. Dog's gin? That's, I like him. He seems really nice. He seems like a nice guy. He does seem like a nice His guy. His gin's really good. And, uh, yeah, so my mom is uh, now officially publicly endorsed Snoop Dogg's in his, his adult beverage. Uh, well, yeah, what's it called? Indago? Indago, yeah. Indago, now in- <laughs> endorsed by both Snoop Dogg and Eric's mom. Yep. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff and in the I world guess, of gin. Guess the suds, buds. I mean, it's fine. I I didn't. I don't know. It was one of those like I had to get it because like I had to try it, and it's not bad. Uh, it's not my favorite thing in the world. It's kind of like that, um, you know, like Bacardi Botan or yeah, not Bacardi Botanicals, Smirnoff Botanicals. Yes, it's kind of like that, where it's just like that weird, subtle hint of something. Yeah, it's an easy shot if you want to do one. And I think it lends itself to some some mixies, but uh, it, it's definitely a gin for people who don't like gin. Yeah, we did a lot of gin and juice after we bought it. Of course, then, you did. Yeah, you know, you gotta you, you... listen to the song too. Yo, come on, come on. Of course, we listen to the Lay song. Back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. <laughs> Can that be our outro song? <laughs> Sipping on gin and juice, laid back. <laughs> For sure, gonna be our outro song. Oh yes, you, you well, heard it here first. We we got some good music on our film today. Oh, we do, but I mean, is it as good as that? I feel like it could be argued. I feel like we might have some split opinions on today's film. I think we do. But tell you what, we're gonna do. We're gonna crack open the conversation. Mm. So today, I can already see the look Nate's giving me. Mm. I'm trying to keep an open mind here. We are drinking from Tin Whiskers, the Rocket Pop Dream State. That's right. We're going straight up today. This is a tart cream ale with raspberry, lime, and cherry. Right. So. Is that what the white flavor is supposed to be in Bomb Pops? I guess I don't know. Like, obviously, cherry and lime. I Probably. Maybe. Probably. I actually don't know what the like the white flavor is supposed to be. I would guess so. Um, but, uh, yeah, we chose this beer because it's got Rocket in the name. And uh, we are watching, or rather, we watched and are about to talk about a sci-fi, dystopian, spaced-out film that is the 2008 Pixar hit, WALL-E. So... Without further ado, let's pour up some samplies here. 
Ooh, uh, right away, different color than I was expecting. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the flavors uh, invented in 1955 by Doc Abernathy and James S. Merritt. Well, that's not a real name. Kansas City, Missouri's Merritt Foods. The iconic red, white, and blue stack was flavored cherry, lime, and blue raspberry. Was Mr. Okay. Abernathy an actual doctor, or is that just an old-timey, like his first name was Doc? I don't know what DS stands for, but it says DS, and then in parentheses, Doc. Hmm. All right. I guess I I never associated lime with uh, Bomb Pop. I think all those flavors always kind of melded together anyway. But... Right away, I've dove into this one before you have, and I am not tasting Bomb Pop, but uh, we're going to let this, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to ponder about this beverage for a minute, mm-hmm. and while we do that, why don't you uh, take us through the plot of Wally? Wally. Right. I've also made a promise to Nate off air that I'm not going to do a Wally voice yep. at all during this episode, so long as Nate stays on his best behavior which seems fair to me um if at any point you get all rambunctious and start (laughs) yeehawing like you know you're known to do i mean man goes to texas once and comes back uh i don't even know what to call you man you're just uh you know y'all y'all northerners uh you just you know you don't get that love and freedom you're a lawless man without a country just just think you can do whatever you want wherever you want the just, great the great country of texas yeah i mean you go there a model stand-up law-abiding citizen and you come back a a freedom-loving patriot not even more just a, a rule-hating neanderthal <laughs> those can be the same thing those are mutually Ooh, exclusive getting spicy and taking <laughs> shots usually it's me on this program but well, l- listen know, to nate today i like to mix it up a little bit nate's hammered well, maybe. We did have that 9%er before we hopped on here. Shh, we don't need to tell the people that. Yeah, we got to tell the people. What we do off air stays off air. That's not... You literally brought... the Whatever. It's fine. It's fine, Eric. <laughs> do your job, dude. All right, all right. Uh, so, Wally, we open up with... Um, it's uh, pretty similar to a couple of those opens. Um, kind of noticing the theme with these opens of, like, um, basically old real television. Um, kind of showing that the earth has sort of gone to crap and um, that the essentially ruling company, um, we'll call them Amazon uh, of the future, is um, they've basically taken over everything, uh, banks, um, apartments. They're, yeah, actually more like a Walmart, I guess. But they just in everything. Uh, it's called by and large, um, and because the Earth has basically been un or it beca- has become uninhabitable, um, the by and large corporation has made essentially arcs to send people to space um, while they drop robots on Earth to fix the planet. Um, so that's kind of the basis of the whole story is that all of the humans have been sent off and uh, our main character Wally um, and a lot of other robots have been sent to Earth to clean up the mess that the humans have made. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the whole thing. Um, and it's so inhabitable at this point. Uh, uninhabitable. Uninhabitable, excuse me, at this point that uh, even Wally's almost basically like the sole surviving robot that we know of. Yep. Um, a cockroach. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that's when we kind of meet our main character, Wally, a uh, little robot. His job is to collect trash and compact it into cubes and then stack all that trash into giant buildings, essentially, or just stack all the trash and it ends up being giant buildings. Um, so we kind of watch him do that for a little bit and then, um, we start to get a little better idea of the character. He's, there's certain things where he collects them. He doesn't compact them, um, kind of fascinated with certain human objects and very and, weird ones too. Yeah, very weird ones. Um, and he brings them back to his little base of operations. And he's when we get into that, it's a huge collection of just random shit. Honestly, kind of did the same thing when I was a kid. Like, I just find weird shit, and I'd like put it in this box in a drawer that I had. Um, that box is still there, and like I looked through it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's filled with essentially trash yeah like there's a uh, mercedes hood or mercedes emblem like hood ornament that might be worth some money maybe um yeah just a whole bunch of weird garbage um so yeah you know i identify with that yeah no i had the same thing as a kid i had a little desk in my room and had like a classic drunk junk drawer with like just just weird things yep um but yeah anybody else looking at it it is immediately trash yeah. It is a box full of trash or a drawer full of trash. Um, yeah, and the thing that Wally lives in is almost kind of reminiscent of like those rovers that the the Jawas from Star Wars run around in, but it's like kind of broken down. It seems like like it seems like it was at one point like a vehicle or something because it's got like a, a hatch, like a hydraulic hatch on the back. Yeah, it kind of looks like where a bunch of the Wallys would have stayed. Like that's kind of like they're at night they hang out in that their charging um, station or something yeah um but now it's just kind of wally's shed yeah and he stores all of his shit there um and then we kind of get into a weird part where wally is watching a movie um what was the movie called again um, um uh dolly hello dolly hello dolly um 1969 american um romantic musical comedy based on a 1964 broadway production of the same name um directed by icon gene kelly um stars barbara streisand walter matthau um a lot of big names from the time um you know kind of your par for the course 1960s uh show toony musical yeah i don't know it i I feel like it was a Disney production, too, but I could be wrong. Probably be easier if it was. Yeah. Oh, looks like it was 20th Century Fox, but... I'm sure the rights for something like that aren't all that expensive. Yeah, I mean, they leaned on that movie pretty heavily. It would be interesting to see kind of um, what was the, you know, genesis of that. I never really figured that out, but even the music and... And that scene you're talking about, the holding hands and stuff, we saw that replayed numerous times throughout the film. Yeah. Um, but basically, we, yeah, while he's like recording bits so he can listen to it later, um, 
kind of becomes this thing where they build Wally up to be almost a hopeless romantic. Um, but as a robot, he doesn't necessarily understand it. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of a weird trying to humanize Wally to make him into the main character. Um, and then we just kind of get a montage. Uh, he makes a cockroach that's not overly important, but kind of a fun character. Um, and he befriends his cockroach. Just trying to make friends with anything that moves. Um, so he's obviously pretty lonely as a robot. Um, and he... Uh, so yeah, through a montage, it's just kind of Wally's day-to-day collecting random crap, putting it in his drawer, compacting cubes of garbage, and building buildings with it. Um, and one day, he's just driving around, and he stumbles upon a plant growing in a boot. Uh, he's never seen anything like this before, so he grabs it, collects it, and all of a sudden, we see this red dot like around and he kind of tries to befriend the dot because it's moving and he doesn't understand what it is Mm -hmm. and chases the dot for a little bit and then all of a sudden there's a lot more dots and turns out it's a landing beacon for a ship this ship comes down and it drops off our other main character eva um eva is a much more sleek looking robot um just kind of like a white capsule, essentially. She's made by Apple. Yeah, exactly. She's definitely a Mac. Exactly. It's a yeah. Imagine if Mac made a robot. Um, that would essentially be it. Although, fun fact: speaking of Mac, Wally's power on and power off sound is the same of Macintosh. Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Um, but yeah, so Wally uh, is fascinated with this robot. Um, but Eva is, it's kind of one of those, like, she. this is kind of her breaking free, um, getting to do what she wants to do. Yes. There's a whole scene where she's just flying around the city. She's not even doing, just having fun, um, which is kind of a weird thing where kind of expect robots to just do the task that they're told to do or programmed to do. But we're learning very quickly that these robots kind of have feelings of their own. Um also, kind of a weird thing is anytime Eva hears a sound or hears something moving, she instantly tries to blow it up with her laser. Doesn't even try. She just obliterates it. Like, yep. if she hears something behind her, it's a 180 and blast. Yep. Giant crater. Yes. Um, so, with that, Wally kind of has to sneak around. He's just, again, fascinated with this robot. So, he's sneaking around, hiding, trying to basically spy on her or just see what she's doing. Um, and eventually they kind of warm up to each other and Wally brings her around and starts showing her all of the things that he does. Um, and then eventually shows her this, the plant in the boot. Um, she scans that plant and it, we find out that that was kind of her whole reason for being on earth is to find plant life. Um, so it scans and kind of her system takes over takes the plant, puts it into her capsule, and sends a signal out. Um, then we kind of end up with this... Um, then she powers down, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end up with this very weird montage that I, I wasn't a big fan of. I didn't... It just felt weird. Basically, Eva's a floating capsule, and Wally's taking her on all of these dates. Like, pushing her around, holding the umbrella over her head. Um, but, like... 
it I don't know, it just felt really weird. I think it felt weird because of how weirdly ordered events were at this point. I mean, now we're probably getting close to the 20 minute mark of this film. There's been basically no dialogue. The only characters we've seen are a trash bot, an apple bot, and a cockroach. And we've already kind of it's been pretty heavily implied that these characters are or these robots are sentient. Mm-hmm. They have feelings. They can pick up on certain social cues, or so we think. But also, like, the word consent is not a word that exists in Wally's dictionary. No. No, and that's, I think that's what really weirded me out about the whole scene. It's kind of freaking weird. He's got a weird obsession with holding this now deceased robot's hand. Yep. I don't know, man. And, like, he, he tries to, like, boot her up a couple times, um, but, like, that never seems to work. Tries to, like, pull her hand out of, like, the capsule to, like, hold it and, like, gets pinched. I don't know. It's just, like, this weird scene that's supposed to be romantic, but, like, just comes off as creepy. Yeah, Wally's got, uh, he's reminiscent of, uh, Joaquin Phoenix from the movie Her, if you've ever seen that. I've not seen that. Which is, uh. The three people listening that know what I'm talking about, uh, you get it. And it's not necessarily a good comparison, but... Sure. Uh, but yeah, anyway... Falling in love uh, with AI, man. It's a, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. But they're both AI. I guess, but... but one is definitely taking advantage, kind of. Yeah. Not even kind of, is of the other one. Yeah. Just, yeah, the whole scene kind of put me at, like, a weird spot. Um, and eventually, so eventually, um, a ship relands and uh, Eva is escorted or taken onto this ship um, with the plant. Um, and so Wally, being in love with this robot that he doesn't know, um, <laughs> essentially stows away on this ship or, like, latches onto this ship. Super clingy. Yep. Uh, and that ship gets brought to the Axiom, uh, the mothership that, by and large, um, who I should mention um, in the beginning scene, um, the by and large corporation is, what's the guy's name? Fred Willard. Yeah, Fred Willard. Uh, is run by a uh, character played by Fred Willard. Um, and this is one of the weirdest things in the movie is it's stock footage of just Fred Willard, like, playing a character, but it's not animated, it's not anything, it's just footage of him as the owner of this company. Yeah, yeah, not even stock footage, like, it's just him delivering his lines to a camera as, like, kind of like a a State of the Union type address kind of thing, like, as if Jeff Bezos was now the president, or the president of Walmart was now president. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, and then there also is stock footage, like, when the, the captain starts kind of obsessing over Earth later on. We see a lot of, like, Google-type images of, like, humans doing things, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's really weird, man. Seeing, it's, like, animated, but also seeing just real-life pictures, like, yeah, that it's a weird blend. Especially when it becomes more than just transitional and it gets to a point in the film where you have CGI characters interacting through a screen with live action presences. It's um, 
Yeah, it definitely took me out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sure what the stylistic choice was. I mean, why couldn't you animate Fred Willard even to look like someone where it's very obviously Fred Willard? Or yeah, I, I mean, I mean they've done that in plenty of movies where it's like this character model was kind of designed after who they decided was going to play it. The only thing that I maybe thought of, and this is just kind of like trying to play devil's advocate here, but like uh, maybe what they're trying to tell us is that the humans that we're seeing in this movie that reside on the Axiom have gotten so far away from humans as we know. I mean, I mentioned before we recorded that they almost kind of look like gummy bears. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just, like, really trying to hit home with the fact that, like, these animated humans that we're seeing are not humans as we know, and they're showing us a character like Fred Willard to kind of remind us of the past, but also kind of, like, really drive home the fact that, no, we are the villain in this situation. Humans are the issue. Sure. Maybe. That, that I mean, that's kind of the most plausible idea for why they would have done something like that because i don't again it just it took me out of it yeah and i didn't really understand why they go through that trouble like it if there's one thing pixar is not it is lazy no so we can pretty much remove like they just didn't want to bother doing it so it had to have been a stylistic choice which i know we've spent a lot of time talking about it but it's I'm kind of okay with it because I think even though you mentioned Pixar is not lazy, they do tend to be a little on the nose with some things. I mean, we got to remember like super high concept visuals and, you know, technologic marvels, technological marvels, but uh, the scripts can be a little, they remind you it's a children's film a lot of times. I mean, there's not a whole lot of reading between the lines that needs to be done on a film like Bugs Life or Toy Story, but something like Wally, there's a lot of um there's a lot of themes at play, a lot of uh things that are open to interpretation and kind of um they're just kind of laid out there with some nuance and some subtlety where it's, you know, you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself. Sure. Yeah, and uh yeah, I think you're you're pretty much right on here where I don't know. I, I I can't think of any other good reason they would have chosen these like these stock footage or not stock footage, but these roles of live action people. Yeah. Other than yeah, just kind of showing the disparity between the two groups. Um, and I know we're doing a lot of talking for the first act of this film, but I think it's kind of necessary because. This is the most unique first act of a Pixar film that we've seen until this point. I don't want to say it drags, but it's like, you need to be attentive. There's no dialogue. It's very physical, very visual heavy. And by the time we get to act two, it moves along at a pretty good clip. We get some yeah. human characters and you kind of dialogue. It, it turns back into a full Pixar movie Yep, pretty damn quick. Once they're on the Axiom, I would agree. It is... Um, had that whole movie taken place on that ship, it would have felt very much in line with the rest of the Pixar that we've seen up to this point. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, so yeah, they Wally and Eva get to this ship. Um, Eva's still in like hibernation mode mm-hmm. um, and kind of gets dropped in line with a bunch of Eva's. Um, yeah, a bunch just more similar or the same robot that have been sent all around. 
And this robot comes through and scans and figures out that there's a plant inside of Eva. Um, and the rest kind of get cleaned and put back into, uh, like, storage. Eva gets pushed off somewhere else. So this is kind of this whole chase scene with Wally trying to, like, keep up and stay with her. Um, Eva also kind of weird it's spelled eve pronounced eva but stands for extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator so yes um let's see yeah and then so eva gets or they, they figure out eva's got this um this plant with her and then we kind of meet the if you want to be meta, the humans are the villains, but then there is kind of a villain. Um, it's Otto, the autopilot of this big mothership. Yes. Um, Otto has been programmed, which we find out a little bit later, but Otto has been programmed essentially that uh, by, by, by and large, and by and large pretty much lied to everybody and determined that Earth was unredeemable. Mm-hmm. They would that people would never be able to go back. So Otto's programming is essentially at this point, don't return to Earth. Yep. So when this plant comes through, Otto's a little conflicted, but ends up going with his primary do not return directive, um, a directive A113, uh, which we see a lot in this movie, or in Pixar movies, obviously. Um, basically an Easter egg in all of the... Um, all of the Pixar movies. I don't know that there's... I guess I don't know if there was one in Ratatouille. I'm sure that there was. It's definitely one of those we've missed a few talking about, but I think it is kind of like the Pizza Planet truck where it's it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's that part. Um, so essentially what Otto, the autopilot, decides to do is get rid of this plant. Um, because it kind of, if the plant gets put into the system, the ship will automatically return to Earth. And since Otto doesn't want to return to Earth, or his program not to return to Earth, kind of has to take the reins here and get rid of this plant. Um, then we kind of end up with this whole chase scene. Wally trying to save the plant um, gets actually launched out into space on like a self-destruct pod. And Wally goes in to save it. Eva chases Wally trying to save him and sees the pod blow up. But Wally escaped the pod with the plant. Um, There's a little reconciliation. They kind of add this like Eva trying to send Wally home because she thinks Wally fucked something up. It's a liability. Uh, Yeah, basically. Um, Then figures out that uh, it wasn't Wally. They kind of figure out Otto's the bad guy. Um, where are we at with that? So they're back on Axiom. Um, and yeah, Eve, or yeah, eventually they bring the plant or they start working to get the plant into the database that will send the ship back to Earth. Um, and Otto has essentially started a mutiny against the captain because the captain is now aware what Otto is trying to do. 
Um, so Otto takes control of the entire ship and essentially tries to stop Wally and Eva from putting this plant into the database. Uh, and then we kind of end up with this whole battle sequence of um, Otto sending all the other robots on the ship, steering the ship, making all of the helpless humans. Oh, also, by the way, all the humans are obese and floating around on hover chairs. Um, they're pretty much helpless. They just are fed information or fed deals or food or whatever. They're just essentially becoming robots themselves. Yeah, strict liquid diet, you know, it's everything that they eat is liquid food, kind of in the form of like a Sonic slushy branded by by and large. Um, yeah, like you said, they're in these little floating, hovering wheelchairs, and they basically move on a track. I mean, there's times where it's like if there's an announcement or a commencement, they just all kind of, whether they're awake or sleeping, as we'll find out later, they just kind of all magnetized to where they need to be it's kind of a very unsettling um visual for sure but reminiscent to me of the world we see in wreck it ralph especially the second one where wreck it ralph breaks the internet okay as i know it's not a pixar film but it is a disney film but as we see them kind of navigating the axiom dreamworks no it is disney you're right it is disney um Disney Animation Studios, but there's a few scenes in that where everything's just sensory overload. Everything is holograms and projections and giant screens, and that's kind of the world on their ship. On their ship, it's this yep. weird digital dystopia. Well, yeah, and it's uh like again with the track bit, it kind of is trying to show that humans have become like just another cog in this big robot ship bunch of sheeple yeah exactly um so uh they get notified or they hit essentially they hit this button that brings up this um display port where they need to insert the plant into so when that happens uh all the screens essentially turn to the same graphic it's a little plant with a circle and all of the hover chairs of the people start going to like the main lobby um, to see this plant. Like that, some of the people are asleep, some are whatever. They also all get oxygen helmets on, which I never really understood. Maybe it's for like the light speed jump. To me, I kind of took it as just like um, kind of like a parallel to to airplanes. Like when you're when the CO two mask drops from the the overhead compartment that's kind of like the oh shit moment like sure you know that's kind of the last resort like we're we're in deep and we're going to try to figure this out but in the meantime sit tight and don't die yeah um so yeah all the humans get these little oxygen helmets on um and they're all going towards the main lobby and here eva and wally are trying to get the plant into this receptacle um and Otto is trying to close the receptacle. Yes. Um, which essentially, Wally, as it's closing, Wally kind of scoots in and tries to just keep it up with his hands and kind of gets crushed by this receptacle. Um, eventually, the robots work together, get the plant into the receptacle. It comes back up, and we see Wally is basically damaged, kind of not, you know, kind of beyond repair. Yep. Um, 
And so it's kind of a sad moment, but also the humans in this don't really realize what's going on. They don't fully understand. Like, it was a, kind of a weird disconnect because the humans are completely unaware of this other battle going on. And they're all just cheering because, like, this plant and they can go home. Um, meanwhile, all of the robots that we've been following for 95% of the movie are like, oh, shit, Wally's basically dead or on his deathbed. Um, so then there's a, with the plants or with the ship's programming, they hyper jump back to Earth and they land. Um, and it's a super weird scene for me because I, w- I would argue that the Earth isn't really habitable. Like... It doesn't look any different from when Walt... Like, the biggest difference between the Earth when they left and the Earth that, like, we're returning to is that humans haven't been there polluting it, but, like, all the garbage, all of the stuff is still there. Everything's, like, brown, destroyed, whatever. It looks like something out of the game Fallout. Yeah. Um... Looks like I'm um, like the world as we know it just got nuked, yeah, and then left for like thousands of years, and then this is just what we're returning to. And you know, we see on a hillside there's some some, some green emerging, but for the most part, it's uh pretty bleak. Yeah, some occasion. Yeah, there's some vegetation, but not much. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they land the ship, and Eva rushes out, rushes Wally back to his little um shed thing and starts replacing all of his parts trying to fix him up shoots a hole in his ceiling so he can solar recharge which is weird um and then wally reactivates uh but he's not wally he's just kind of a factory reset version of the robot he used to be and kind of just you know, she shows him all of these toys trying to jog his memory, and he just takes all of them and trash compacts them. Um, so eventually Eva stops him, kind of gives him what would amount to be a robot kiss on the forehead, and holds his hand, and that kind of restores Wally to his previous self. Yeah, we get a little throwback to the, the Hello Dolly music and imagery, which also I did see here... Um this is something we probably could include in the music, but we've got a bit to talk about later, so I just want to throw it out there now. Um, so director Andrew Stanton originally wanted to juxtapose the opening shots of space with 1930s French swing, swing music, but um, he actually ended up seeing the triplets of Belleville in 2003 and uh, didn't want to appear as if he was copying that. So hmm. instead, um, he thought about the song Put On Your Sunday Clothes from Hello Dolly, um, which he'd actually portrayed Barnaby Tucker from the film in a 1980 high school production. So he thought the song was fitting. It was about two naive young men looking for love, which was kind of similar to Wally's own hope for companionship. So that was kind of just that little scene from that film really is kind of at the epicenter of of wally but that was i guess kind of the the inspiration for that that bit being um reused multiple times in the film okay so a little slice out of the director's life which i think most good filmmakers will do 
Yeah. Kind of pull inspiration from a lifetime worth of experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much a wrap. Um, in the credit scene, like the first credit, or yeah, the credit scene where you, like they mention all the big names. Um, it's kind of this weird watercolor montage of the humans and the robots working together to rebuild society and turn it into a paradise. Um, yeah. And so I don't entirely buy, but also the robots are essentially immortal. So uh, we don't yeah, we don't have a time period for how long all that took, especially considering how not ready to work the humans were when they got off that ship. Yeah, man, there's a lot of info really packed into that final little post-credit or closing credit sequence, um, and it just feels very different in tone from the rest of the film. It's this Peter Gabriel, Thomas Newman um, song. People might know Peter Gabriel from his fame of Genesis, uh, the band, but uh, yeah, just kind of weird. It's like these weird watercolor, almost sort of like cave drawing type imagery of the mm. humans have now lost all their weight and are rebuilding this society almost in a way reminiscent of like Egyptians. That's kind of what I kept thinking when I saw it is I'm like, Oh, this is very like kind of like a caveman sort of. Yeah. Um, what's that called? Uh, not typography. Um, hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs. Yeah. Yeah, it had that very much like a hieroglyphic kind of creationism feel post-film. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of the film was kind of like spacey. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just like essentially trying to be the new origins of the human race. That's fair. So. I didn't hate it. It no. just, it seemed kind of out of place. Yeah, it was, I think it was one of those like, because the very ending of like the actual movie kind of leaves it like, okay how is this all going to work? Right. And so then they kind of just really rushed through, um, basically that it did work, um, through these hieroglyphs. It was, yeah, a nice, easy wrap up, basically reassuring all of the viewers that, nope, they've rebuilt society. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's Wally. That is Wally everybody. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the movie more in a minute here, but what do you say we review this beer? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit more. You want to top me off as well? You can do that. Yep, 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 yep. All right. Thank you, Sir Nathan. Mm-hmm. So this, again, is the Tin Whiskers Rocket Pop Dream State. It is lime, it is cherries, and it is raspberries uh, all coming together in a fruited tart cream ale. Mm-hmm. Um, let me try another sip. I'm gonna be honest, not uh, not big on this one. Yeah, um, it pulls it pulls a lot of lime right off the top that I'm getting, um, but then it kind of gets uh, watery a little bit. You getting watery, like just uh, weirdly. I don't know. I expect it to be a little bit thicker. I don't know about watery, but I do get the lime flavor right off the top, but the tartness kind of dies. Like I almost am waiting for like a puckering in my cheeks, and it's. So maybe in that sense, watery, the lime just tastes super pronounced at the top and then just kind of fades away. Um, honestly, kind of reminds me of our raspberry lemon blonde at Bald Man. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a light, highly carbonated, fruited pink beer. Um, 
I got some more thoughts on this one, but I'll let you. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's got the lime. I get like a little raspberry cherry kind of towards the end. Um, carbonation wise, pretty low. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty flat almost for me. Uh, that might just be the. Um, I think that the dream state is isn't that supposed to be there? What? Looking at. Oh. I got some heavy sediment in the bottom of this one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it's like brownish too. Yeah. Don't really like that. No. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's part of their cream ale series. That's their dream state stuff. So it's got kind of that thicker body, but not. I don't know. I don't know how it's somehow watery and thicker at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm a little bummed out by that last pour. I kind of wish I would have stopped when I did, because that is a very... Got a worm of something in the bottom of my glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. <sighs> Oof. Nate, this... take it away. I'll let, I'll let you give it. All right. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to go with, like, a... 1.8. Mm. Um, not, not doing it for me. Um... I don't know. Just it's lime, and then it's kind of watery, but it's got a body to it. I don't know where I'm supposed to go with it. You know what I mean? I guess yeah. it's got some flavor, but like it just—it doesn't feel finished to me. Like it feels like they like there was an idea behind it, and then they just kind of left it. Um, also. <sighs> I'm a big fan of bubbles, and this ain't got none. Really? I didn't think the carbonation was bad. I, you say 1.8 on this? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like the tartness from the lime is kind of replicating that kind of tingly feel you get on your tongue from carbonation, but it's not carbonation. <sighs> you keep looking at the bottom of that glass. It's disgusting, yeah, I was going to say, you keep looking more and more disappointed every time you do it. Uh, but yeah, 1.8 for me. I, I'm going to give my original review that I was going to give this beer. I was going to put it out at like a 2.6. I was going to say I didn't hate the taste of it. I just didn't. I, I thought it kind of fell victim to misleading branding. It doesn't taste like a bomb pop to me. Um, I taste like papaya in this. Like I was sitting the whole time you were talking about the plot trying to figure out what I taste in this. And I taste like weird tropical fruit that's just out of place okay um a lot of lime not a lot of cherry or raspberry um yeah i was gonna give it like a high two just as like a not a bad tasting beer but just as kind of a branding issue but man anytime you see like a brown worm in the bottom of like a see-through pink beer it's just like it really bums me out and that's definitely gonna knock it down i'm it's not an actual worm but it's I, not an yeah. actual worm, but it's I like... I feel like we should clarify that. Sometimes you expect some sediment from like a Belgian beer or Heffies or like, you know. But like, this was a non-disturbed can. We pulled it right out of a, a fridge that had been sitting in for oh, and you hours. Even, and you didn't even get the bottom. And There's I didn't even still, get the bottom, so... Still stuff you know what? There. Let me see this real quick. Let me see what we got sitting in here. Uh -oh. I'm not trying to ruin anyone's day. I actually really like some of the folks over at Tin Whiskers. Um... I do like some of their beers. That is 
Whoa. So the bottom of the can here looks like, I guess the rest of our beer was basically looked like a, a Pilsner with a, a touch of a pink hue. And this final pour looks like dirty dishwater. It is very milky, very cloudy, and yeah, I'm not going to drink it, man. <laughs> Sorry, I don't like knocking breweries, but I got to be honest. Yeah. 1.2. Oof. Not good. Oof. Guys, just, I I don't know. I Is there a date on this can? trying anything to oh it's got an arrow pointing to the freshness date and drink by that can't be right what it's just a really... it looks like we're safe I guess oh okay Eight five twenty one. so Oh, so this is, this is, probably isn't even that old of a beer at that point. I mean, if you're talking, well, actually, it's August, no, no. it could have been. Br- so it's yeah. I'm trying to see. This is it's kind of like printed on the ridge of the can, but maybe can done three seven twenty one. And so maybe it's just an old beer, but either I'm way, st- still staring at what I have sitting in my glass, and I'm I'm real bummed out. Yep. So 1.8 from you, yep. and then I said 1.2. Yeah, uh, not not our favorite. That gets, uh, what is that? That puts us at three combined, Yep. which is like kind of our mark of we'd buy it again and we'd recommend it. Yep. Yeah, I probably, like I said, there's some Fair State or some Tin Whiskers beers that I really do enjoy, but this, this ain't one of them. Yeah. I don't want to linger on this any longer. I, I feel, I feel bad. But there it is. There it is. That's our review of the Tin Whiskers Rocket Pop Dream State, which is a tart cream ale with raspberry lime and cherry. Check it out. Maybe it's your thing, not the Suds Buds thing. But that's okay. There's a beer for everyone. Um, yeah. We'll marinate on that for a minute, take a little break, and we will come right back with some Wally Fun Facts. Stay tuned. up everybody thanks for sticking with us we're back we just cracked open the conversation with our beverage numero dos cerveza number two from wabasha brewing company it's the space monkey ipa basically all we got on this can is it says this simian ace is just tripping through space to bring you this brew and enjoy the view it's 5.8 percent alcohol by volume it's 72 ibu and we're drinking it out of a 16 ounce can and that is all i've got on this beer it's 
it was kind of weird. Like I kept looking for more information on it, and it's it's not there. Yeah. Um. So I guess it's just an IPA. So a little cloudier than I thought it was gonna be, but uh, we'll stew on it and we'll see where we're at. Let's give the people what they want, you know. That's right. Well, while you're sipping that, I'm going to dive into some fun facts. So, did you know the initial idea for Wally first came up in a now iconic lunch meeting between Pixar's top brass, John Lasseter, Pete Docter, Joe Rampt, and Andrew Stanton? This was in 1994, as Toy Story was nearing completion. Um, so, basically, the quartet brainstorm ideas for the studio's next project and Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, A Bug's Life, and Wally were all born at this meeting. Stanton developed this idea for Wally into a full story outline with Doctor at the time, but development of the film was halted um, until Stanton could finish making Finding Nemo. So, 1994. That means this movie was already an idea 14 years before the public was able to feast their eyes upon it. So. Damn. All right. Moving along, did you know that since the first half of Wally takes place on an abandoned Earth with a robot that can't speak, the Pixar team had to learn how to tell stories purely through visuals. Um, basically, in order to get into this headspace of the now iconic robot, uh, director Andrew Stanton and the team watched classic silent comedies of the legendary Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton every day over lunch. Over the course of the 18-month production of the film, the team managed to watch every single movie, both shorts and features, starring Chaplin and Keaton. Again, what did I say before? These people Uh, are far from lazy. Exactly. Pixar, if there's one thing Pixar is not, it is lazy. Yeah. um, I wanted to touch on this, too, because I think it is something that is pretty apparent. Um, Though there is a lack of dialogue communication between Wally and Eva, um, their eyes really are essential to the characters. Wally's eyes are modeled off of a pair of binoculars, and Eva's eyes is kind of like this digital display. Um, But yeah, it's it's a powerful technique that... um, it, it harkens back to the days of the, the silent movies before talkies were a thing. Um, physical nature was essential um, for communication between characters, just how they emoted um, through their bodies and their face. Um, it reminds me of a thing that we did in film school when I was in the directing program. We took a class that was... Um, directing talent for the screen and part of the class was putting ourselves in front of the camera um kind of just this philosophy that you can't really tell an actor how to navigate a scene until you yourself has have some basic knowledge of navigating a scene um and i remember one of the first exercises they had us do was a bus stop exercise where basically there was a camera placed and um on the screen there was one character one of us directors that sat seated at what was supposed to be a bus stop and then another character had to enter the bus stop and sit down next to that character and we were both giving we were given independent motivations so you know for example it might be the person seated at the bus stop is supposed to be you know cold and distance 
and the person taking a seat at the bus stop is supposed to be trying to hit on the person at the bus stop and you need to exercise Eric, don't, this don't don't hit on your classmates i know i eric, know eric but in this class what have i told you don't hit on your coworkers and don't hit on your classmates i know i know and here he's dating a coworker. <laughs> i never dated anyone in film school though so we're safe there but uh one one for two folks we're one safe two. <laughs> uh and also my my current girlfriend is no longer my coworker, so over to true well i mean you got her fired shut the <laughs> fuck up nate i'm kidding samantha anyhow basically this whole exercise was uh communicating with another character with all no verbals all all facials so kind of just illustrating the importance of uh eyes in, in the scene. Um, and I think this movie does a good job of that. So. It does. I mean, especially considering they only have eyes. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. Wally's got two arms and some tracks, and he's got a compactor of a body, and Eve's also got a, a holding cell of a body, and she's got some arms, and she's got some hands, and she's got a gun and a, a <laughs> she propulsion don't have, She device. don't have a gun. She's got a big old she... gat. <laughs> <laughs> Eve is strapped. She coming in hot. Packing that heat. What was kind of weird? Uh, so like, in the like early like when she first lands, like she hears a noise and she just blows a hole through everything. Yeah. Right. But then like they're on the ship, and she can barely like shoot through a different robot. Yeah. And it's like okay, well, also kind of weird part. Um, the disparity in. In level or in technology, from Wally being down on Earth cleaning everything up, and all of the robots up on the ship. Like, are those just like they? It seems like very, like almost like they've progressed in technology. Although, eh, actually, I take that back because the big trash compactors down in like the base of the ship were essentially giant Wallies. Yes. Yeah. So they built basically two classes of robot. They built a robot to compact trash, and then all of the robots that deal with people as more, much more sleek. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's kind of like Eva's for sure more high tech than Wally. Yes. Um, but like the trash robots, they're yeah, built to compact trash. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Maybe it's even implied that the ship is starting to get old. Well, see, well, that was kind of my thing, is, like, the ship was sent off. The humans aren't really making any any innovations, as we can see. No. They're basically just sheep. They're vegetables. So, are, like, the robots improving on the other robots? Are we getting, like, a Terminator situation out Ooh. here? I mean, kind of. Maybe that's what Otto was supposed to be. Like I said, I, actually, he's got the red eye, which I think ties into one of your fun facts. Hopefully it does. It's very much like Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. There's mm. mm. the... The ominous red eye. The ominous red eye. But speaking of fun facts, why don't we get back on track here, Nate, so oh, you, you can, can stop sidetracking You, can, you me. can sidetrack me all you want in my segment, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> uh, whatever, man, that's fine. I'm here to read fun facts and you're here to listen, damn it. <laughs> Did you know the voice of Wally is that of legendary sound designer Ben Burt? Burt is best known for his work on Star Wars. You can thank him for R2-D2's distinctive chatter, and he's also worked on films like E.T., 
as well as Indiana Jones. So, are you uh, texting while I'm talking? No, I'm not texting. I'm looking. Put your god darn phone away. Bro, this episode's all about technology and screens, okay? I'm seeing if he also is working on that, um, like, the sound effects collections where, like, they would go through and they'd just do weird sound samples of things like the high tensile wire for the laser blast sounds. I would guess no. No? I would guess that would be a whole sound and foley department. I, from what I read, I think Ben Burt, well, maybe maybe he no, was. It, it looks like he was a large part of that. Um, just collecting sound samples. Um, yeah, like it was very weird how they got a lot of those sounds. I think you told me about that high tensile wire um, for the laser sounds. Yes, they, that sure was that from was. another movie too. Yeah, like where where it's you just hitting a yeah very thick metal wire. Yeah. Um, as the sound of the laser blasters. Well, there you go. Learned this is something. why you need to stop sidetracking me. I can't have the listeners knowing that I've been wrong. I d- <laughs> oh, okay. Didn't you call me out on being wrong? Like, a cu- whatever. But it's I'm, fine. It's I'm fine. our it's unofficial fine. official fact checker. Uh, well, I feel like you got people behind the scenes. I'm just here working solo dolo, fam. <laughs> Not proud of what I I got nothing for that. That's fine. Um... Well, if you'd have let me finish with my fun facts, we could have gotten to this one, Nathan. Did oh, you know okay. that Ben Burt created a record number of sounds for the film? You piece of shit. Hey. Uh, he created a library of 2,400 sounds for Wally, the largest, largest number of all of his films by far. Among the raw sounds that he used for Wally were an electronic toothbrush, shopping carts banging together, a Nikon camera shutter for Wally's eyebrow movements. Bert sneezing while a vacuum cleaner was running, uh, that's Wally sneezing, and a hand crank generator of the sort used in the John Wayne film Island in the Sky. Mm. Look at these fun facts. You good? I'm just, be- I, I'm just better at fun facts than you, that's fine. <laughs> you want to take this over? <laughs> I could, or do you want me to redact it before I hand it to you and you can pull some fun facts I, I, out I of do, your eyes? I do miss those days. I'll just make up fun facts about the movie. Oh, I can bring back those days. <laughs> Maybe for Up, I uh, I do a, a plot summary and you do some not-so-fun facts. Oh, I'm great at fun facts. We'll see. Especially if I just make them up on the spot. Yeah. And we'll see how many of those I can get put into canon. You're just going to gaslight our listeners? See if I can get any of them on the Wikipedia like page for fun facts. <sighs> That's low, man. That's low. I, I'm just inventing canon. Trying you know? to rewrite Pixar history. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, what do they call that? Um, revisionist history. <laughs> Did you know the director came up with Wally's eyes, um, or excuse me, Wally's look at a baseball game? So Stanton got the inspiration for Wally's design when someone handed him a pair of binoculars at a baseball game. He said he missed the entire inning. Uh, he recalled, quote, I just turned the thing around and I started staring at it and started making it go sad and then happy and sad and happy. And I remember doing that as a kid with my dad's binoculars. And I said, it's all there. So. All right. There you go. Did you know, though named in the film itself, or though not named, excuse me, in the film itself, Wally's cockroach friend was given the name Hal by the Pixar team. 
a reference to both um, the 1920s producer Hal Roach, um, who did uh, Little Rascals, um, Laurel and Hardy, but also a reference to Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey, who um, Otto bears a strong resemblance to. So, Layers, dog. That is a fun fact. Look at you. <laughs> so condescending. I'm not condescending. It's just my voice. Did you know the humans were originally going to be jello blobs? Inspired by conversations with NASA scientist Jim Hicks, an expert on the effects of zero gravity on the human body. At one point, Stanton was going to make humans literal blobs so unrecognizable from who they are today that even we, the audience, would think it was an alien race. It had more of a Planet of the Apes twist to it, and uh, they at the end would discover, as well as we would, that it was actually us. But he added, it was so bizarre that I had to sort of pull back. Yeah, I don't think that would have played as well. Like, that just... It would have been, like, a cool twist, but, like, that in that whole ending scene where, like, or, like, the credit scene where they're rebuilding society, that wouldn't have worked. Like, are we slowly watching these blobs evolve back into humans? Yes. Yes. Wally becomes a body horror film directed by John Carpenter, produced by Pixar, and the final scene is a bunch of CGI gummy bears metamorphosing metamorphosizing into normal-looking humans. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'd watch it. I for sure would. Especially if Pixar put it out. I think it would move it up a few spots in my ranking. If I want to see like a, like a Pixar attempt at a horror movie. So it's just like kind of just funny, childish, fun references, but also kind of a horror movie. We'll see. We've still got to watch Onward. That's true. That's got... Some I say elves. Vampires, I think. Vampires or elves. So I think it's Maybe elves. I think it's elves. I don't know if vampires would work. Although, like I said, I mean they've straight up killed people in a lot of these movies. So like, yeah, a vampire doesn't sound like the worst thing. True. Did you know that a legendary cinematographer helped stretch Wally to new technical heights? So, um, cinematographer Roger Deakins, who's been nominated for a whopping 12 Oscars, served as visual consultant on WALL-E, helping the animators figure out how to make the movie look like it was filmed with actual cameras. Uh, quote, very often animated films like feel like they're recorded in some kind of computer space, producer Jim Morris noted. We wanted this film to feel like cinematographers with real cameras had gone to these places and filmed what we were seeing, we wanted it to have artifacts of photography and to seem real and much more gritty than animated films tend to be. And I think that's pretty apparent. Um, yeah. This movie is heavy on things like dolly shots, rack focus. Um, I think there's even a few times where like, we see debris kind of settle on the lens. Um, there's a lot of flares. Um, very much set in the tone of like 80s action films yeah where like the cameras posted up like with animated movies you i don't know again it's a weird thing because you don't need to do something like that you know you're you're building the entire shot it doesn't really matter where the angle would be you can build it but like for those kind of shots it's just an extra level of detail that they put into this kind of work definitely 
and people not familiar with Roger Deakins work, um, if you consider yourself a fan of cinema, you definitely owe it to yourself to be one. Um, he's probably best known for his frequent collaborations with the Coen brothers who are like my favorite directing duo. Basically, if you ask me who my favorite directors were, I'd be like, it's, it's the Coens. Um, but he also, uh, did the cinematography for the most recent Blade Runner film. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was, I don't know. I, I'm not familiar enough with the first Blade Runner. Like, it was, I don't know. I didn't even get into it. I like the second film. I like the newer film, though. Yeah. Roger Deakins is, like, the perfect blend of, like, old school meets new school Hollywood. I mean, this guy's probably in his 70s now, but, like, well known for shooting on film, but also, um, has worked on a number of um, projects that were kind of um, groundbreaking digital pieces. I think he did the cinematography for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which actually is one of the first films to be digitally color corrected. Um, So, yeah, some crazy stuff with him. He's worth looking into. Um, Very, very, very influential filmmaker of the last 40 years, so... Okay. Actually, I was I was looking at that. Uh, I saw a trailer for the new uh, Dune movie coming out, and that kind of reminded me of that. But um, that's Dennis Villeneuve. That's a great example, though. Um, yep. Even the then, David Lynch Dune has some visual similarities to uh, Wally. Yeah. Well, then, um, right in the people also search for Roger Deakins. Ah. Like, yep. Yeah, okay. Ah. All right. So I'm not crazy. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very, very stylized uh, mm-hmm. take that he, he does on films. Um, but enough about old Mr. Roger. Did you know there are roughly a thousand unique props in Wally's truck? It took a team of five modelers and five shading artists more than a month to create them all. Let that soak in, Nate. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. The tracks. Did you know that Wally has a cruising speed of 20 miles an hour and a top downhill speed of 35 miles an hour? So he's a quick little boy. He's a quick little boy. Yeah, I mean, he got a lot of garbage. I mean, like, there's that scene early on where, like, he's at the top of the building of trash cubes, putting that cube down. And I'm like, so he's had to, like, go all the way up there tons of times. And it's got, like, a little ramp built all the way around. Yeah. I gotta assume there was like a bunch of Wallies at one point trying to rebuild this trash, and he's kind of like the lone survivor. Right? Yeah, that that was actually kind of mentioned. Is that he? I mean, because he's a weird part of it that also kind of takes me out of it. Is that well, not takes me out, but dehumanizes him as much as they were trying to humanize him. Is he's literally stum- coming across old Wallies, like broken down, dead Wallies, and parting them out, and just yeah. like. Not cannibalizing them, but kind of. He is, yeah. Yeah, uh, for parts. Yeah. And then he just, like, when he gets the new tracks, like, that's what he did. He pulled the tracks off of an old, deceased Wally and then put the new tracks on. I'm glad we've gotten to this point because I think this is maybe bringing up a plot hole or a missed opportunity. Okay. So can we agree that Wally's only goal in this film is companionship? Sure. Basically where we pick up, at least. He's no longer Ooh, serving the purpose of a trash bag. I see where you're going. Yep, yep, yep. So, at the beginning of the film, or even when Wally meets Eve, 
it seems that Wally's sentience may be at a higher level than Eve's. He may be more, even though we talked about he's he lacks some understanding in certain departments, he's got more of a heart than I think Eva has. He seems more kind of like a hopeless romantic, whereas Eve's more kind of like a government drone. Sure. Like Eve, I mean, uh, there is still that whole thing where Eve's just cruising around the city, just flying top speed. That's true. You know, stretching the, the proverbial legs. But in the final scenes in the movie, we see Wally freshly rebuilt by Eve from parts that live on his truck. Mm-hmm. If we're led to believe in the start of the film that Wally is at a higher intellectual level than Eve, well, even though he may not look as flashy, he has more compassion and things of that nature, more understanding for the human world. Wouldn't Wally be able to build other Wallys from his spare parts in his truck? Is Eve kind of an unnecessary character? I mean... If this is his daily routine, he's going around building blocks and watching this old 60s film. And he knows how to replace his own parts. Yes. He's got extra circuit boards. He's got extra arms, extra binocs. I mean, Mm -hmm. just from what we've seen as an audience, there is enough parts in the world as well as in his truck to build numerous fresh wallies that he could presumably... Form hold a bond hand, with hold hands with hold hands with mm-hmm. yeah yeah that, i i don't see any reason why you couldn't have kind of bugs me a little bit yep yeah not a not a fan of that one that seems pretty glaring uh-huh because yeah she like i said you even replaced like the main circuit board which was kind of like meant to be the brain yeah, and there's there's numerous times where, I mean, like you said, he's scavenging parts for himself. There's the scene where his circuit board is failing, and he's gone down a trash chute, and Eva's looking around the trash site for other circuit boards. There's the final scene where he gets crushed, they go back to Earth, and he's be, being rebuilt. I mean, there's numerous times where we're, we're reminded that, like, these the, things can be resuscitated and replicated. Yeah, they got they got parts. Yes. Huh. Now, okay, but a little devil's advocate here. Um, so when Wally is taking parts off of these other Wallys, is that like a self-survival instinct where kind of needs the parts to keep himself going? So is it more self-preservation over, um, you know, I'm kind of getting that. Is it more self-preservation over companionship? Although we can see that that's not necessarily the case in that scene with the umbrella where he's holding the umbrella over um, hibernating Eva and he gets struck by lightning. Yeah. I mean, even if it is self-serving, we kind of assume the only role he serves in this society or lack thereof society is just to roam around, compact trash, stack it, and then return to home base and charge up again. So it's like if the only thing that's causing him wear and tear is his duty, wouldn't it be in his best interest to replicate more of himself so the wear and tear is reduced and spread out amongst an army of wallies? You'd think the productivity would be much higher if there were two of them. 
That's true. Or four of them, or six of them, and pl- probably less of a need for spare parts. Which is also true. I mean, but then, I mean, we also have to assume that at a certain point, like when the whole program started, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of these Wallys Definitely. in every city. And so he existed during that period of time. Like, maybe didn't have the empathy or the understanding that he currently has. But, like, watched these Wallys basically bite the dust for one reason or another. Like, it wouldn't necessarily be all their circuit boards going out or all of these other things. Yeah. So, why? Maybe Wally's just racist. Maybe he hates himself. Maybe he hates his, his people. I mean, maybe he just hates every creed or color other than than eva's because even the cockroach and him kind of have a complicated relationship i mean if he's Uh, desperately looking for companionship i mean he's not the nicest to the roach he runs him over numerous times and and multiple times kind of ignores him yeah but then he also like gives him the twinkie like unwraps the twinkie that's true which is weird that he understands organic life's needs like he has a twinkie he unwraps the twinkie and puts the cockroach on the twinkie Hmm. to dive into it so he understands organic life. Hmm. We're really diving in deep here. I like this. This mm-hmm. is some critical thinking. Like, basically just trying to figure out why Wally wouldn't have fixed. Like, if there's any reason that we're missing why he wouldn't have repaired other Wallys. I, like, want to talk to Andrew Stanton about this. Andrew Stanton, please uh, message us at sudsbudspod at gmail.com. Um... We'd like uh, like to hear some follow up. I guess we've never like extended that olive branch to Pixar. I mean, that's kind of like that's kind of like the white whale is getting someone who's worked on one of these movies on this podcast. I know we've kind of been anti-interview for this season, um, trying to be as informative and kind of put on our our rose-colored goggles and look back at uh, these films of our childhood. But uh, man. There's some questions I would love to ask on all these movies. I mean, what? That, like, you can only get, I mean, it's one of those, you, you want to assume that there's a good reason for everything, but sometimes I'd assume there's just not. Like, it's just a glaring pot or a plot hole. I'm going to go on a Wally Reddit today, or Wally subreddit. I, I, I'd assume there is one, but I don't know if you want to do that. Just frame it like, why would Wally desperately be seeking companionship from an outer world being when he has the capabilities to rebuild one of his own? That's true. Unless he doesn't... We might have to go back and watch that scene where she like installs a circuit board. No, because he's got the hands. Like I was wondering if like it was a like, power thing. No, because she makes... I mean, it's it's... We know it's a specific circuit board because when she's scouring the the scrapyard, she brings back like three of them and he shakes his head. They're all wrong. But then when we get back to his truck, he's got a bunch of them. Yeah. Like he's got basically everything he needs. Multiple arms. Got a little jack stand. Like Um, uncrush his body. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. No, no. uh, We're going to dig dig a little bit more for answers here. Yeah. We promise if we find anything out, we'll... uh, report back but in the meantime i've got one final fun fact and this one maybe maybe isn't the best but probably the the brightest of them all so i saved it for last okay 
Did you know the first time we see the color green in the film is when Wally finds the plant? That makes sense. Yeah. Like, it is a very striking, like, he opens that refrigerator door, and it's like, whoa, what is that? And we've been staring at nothing but brown for 10, 15 minutes at this point. Brown, gray, and, yeah. Yeah, black black and white television. Actually, it was uh, brown and white. Yes. It's basically all brown. Well, the, col- the, the clip from Dolly that they're watching is in color. Oh, that's true. But, yeah, it's definitely the most earth tones the most dull in appearance of any of the the pixar films we've seen just lacking any bright colors whatsoever yeah actually back to that whole bit we were doing earlier with like why they chose the human or like the live action thing if that if that clip from dolly was like an integral part of the scene that would almost stand out even more without having the i mean not that you couldn't have animated that also i guess but that might have been huh no no it doesn't really track never mind i'm gonna dial that back yeah like you could track that back but if you want people to recognize what movie it is you might not want to animate it yeah and i was gonna say too like what if they just scrapped the visual and just had it be like a cassette or a record of that song but even then you lose the element of the the hands holding which has been so important throughout this film Mm mm-hmm whether or not it needed to be, but I mean, Could, that's kind of the framework of this movie is post-apocalyptic society, solo robot tries to find companionship and an advanced robot. But not build companionship. Wally's yeah. trying to date up, date out of his league. He there is. it is. Wally's a gold digger. And a racist. <laughs> You're putting that on him? I'm not putting that on him just yet. I don't know, man. Cannibalizing his own rather than just fixing him? That's, that's rough. That, uh... I mean, again, it it's kind of boils down to maybe self-preservation over companionship. And I disagree with it. Okay, well. <laughs> this is why you're not part of my doomsday preppers. <laughs> actually, oh, I'm actually, so in, bummed. In retrospect, I should have a whole bunch of people valuing companionship over self-preservation. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. That's why you're going to be shitty in the apocalypse. You're going to be so self-serving that you're going to be the first off. I'm going to be I'm going to be an emperor. I'm going to be like Dave Bautista with my gang of of rogue zombie fighters. That movie was super weird. I didn't hate it. I, I didn't, didn't love like it. it. Huh? I didn't like it. You didn't like it at all? Arm, the, Army of the Dead? Yeah, yeah, I didn't uh It was way too long yes it was way too long and like that opening sequence of like how they got there was really drawn out and the vegas showtiming music was like like they had a bit and then they just repeated the bit over and over again it's like a shitty zombie land yeah also that whole like not time travel thing but like the whole kind of time travel thing i really didn't like that part of it i'm not the big Zack snyder guy that everybody else is but sure that's here nor there we're talking Pixar. Tell you what, we're going to do this. We're going to go through some music facts, and then we're going to bring it back home with our beer review on the Space Monkey. Space Monkey. That so, funky monkey. That funky monkey. Music. Thomas Newman 
re-collaborated with Andrew Stanton on Wally since the two got along so well on Finding Nemo. So you can thank Mr. Thomas Newman for this wonderful soundtrack. Uh, Newman traveled to London to compose the end credit song Down to Earth with Peter Gabriel, who is one of Stanton's favorite musicians. I like Peter Gabriel. Not as much as Phil Collins, but uh, Genesis, they got some bangers. That they do. It was also the second Pixar film not to be scored by Randy Newman or Michael Giacchino. Fun fact. Just just lowly old Tom. <laughs> Wait, what? We've talked about Tom Newman. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a callback, Eric. Yes, it was. I'm goldfish brain here. Uh, Louis Armstrong's rendition of La Vie en Rose was used for a montage where Wally attempts to impress Eve on Earth. The script also specified using Bing Crosby's Stardust for when the two robots danced around the axiom, but Newman asked if he could score the scenes himself. So, yeah, he had a little something better in mind, some original tunes. And last but not least, the soundtrack won two Grammy Awards. Best Song Written for Motion Picture, Television or Other Visual Media for Down to Earth, which was the Peter Gabriel tune, um, and Best Instrumental Arrangement for Define Dancing. It was also nominated for Best Score Soundtrack Album for Motion Picture, Television or Other Visual Media, in addition, the soundtrack was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Down to Earth. So, a lot of awards there, a lot of nominations. Uh, not a bad soundtrack. No. I really like the opening sequence for this movie a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's a fun one. It's, it's kind of weird and drab visuals, but with like fun music to it, which is kind of a weird vibe. It reminds me of Fallout. Yeah. Like that old, like, 50s music playing over, like, this dystopian apocalypse decimated society. Yeah. I also did really like the touch of Earth being just, like, inundated with satellites floating in the orbit. Yeah. Like, every time they, like, cross Earth's atmosphere, it's just a ton of satellites. Yep. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch. Big brother. Yep. Yeah, man. Well... How do you want to do this? We got uh, villain, we got movie, and we got beer. How do, I'll let you order this. Um, I'd go beer, villain, and then movie. I like wrapping it up with the movie. Let's do it up. I'll start with the beer. Um, Are you good or you need a top off? I'm good. Okay. I apologize, man. Kind of a weak episode for beers. I don't know how you feel about this one. I'm not a huge fan. It's got, talk about watered down. That's kind of how I feel about this one, like a watered down West Coast IPA. Uh It's kind of got that buttery tongue feel too, where it just kind of sits and just kind of films my mouth or leaves a film over my mouth rather. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to pull some notes. Like it's almost, there's some things there that I kind of want to like, but at the same time, it just is kind of flat, watery and just, kind of blah my favorite thing on it is kind of that orange note right at the end sure like there's a little just tinge of orange um but other than that i'm kind of in the same boat it doesn't uh 
I don't know. It's just a very light West Coast IPA, but not light in the ways that I kind of like. No, it's not a hazy either. I mean, it is a West Coast, but yeah, it's just... I actually don't know. I mean, just like even looking at it, it looks like it's supposed to be a West Coast. Yeah. So like, I'm curious if that's what they meant for it to be. Um, I'll, I'll take a peek and see if that's what they're shooting for. I'm going to give it a 2.6. Not loving it. Not hating it. Can't say I'd buy it again. It's from Wabasha Brewing. I do like a lot of their beers. I love their Red Desert IPA. Mm. West Coast Popper. The West Coast Popper Jalapeno Cream is nice. Um, but yeah, this one's a little lower. What did I say? 2 point... Say 2.8? 2 point... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a 2.8. I'm... I don't know what's going on with my memory today, man. Maybe it's the heat that's getting to me, the sunny California heat. But uh, it, uh, It's a scorcher out there, you know? I'm spewing out words and forgetting what I said. Um, is, I mean, that's pretty classic of you, though. <laughs> Got him. 2.8 for the Space Monkey. Space Monkey. Um, I do I actually really like that orange right on the tail. Uh, I do wish it was a little more pronounced. I don't know if they added something to it for that. I've never really had like, maybe it's because it's a lighter body West Coast that like, if when there is a fruit or a lighter body IPA where when there is a fruit note, like it kind of stands out a little bit more, you know, like some it's like, okay, it tastes like grapefruit. Like there's probably other things layered in there, but like you can't really pull it out. Yep. This one I can pretty much identify orange. Yeah. Um, which I, I do really like, um, but it's not the bot. Like that's my favorite. I, it's weird to say my favorite parts of the end of it. Yeah. You know, my favorite parts the finish. Um, yeah. Texture wise, not been crazy on it. Um, I can always, I always like higher carb and this, this ain't it. Um, but the orange is very pleasant. I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go three. Um, I would probably buy it again. Actually, no. I there's a lot better hazies and a lot better West Coasts. Like this is kind of trying to be both, and it's not really nailing it on either. Um, Fair. So I think I'm gonna go just a little bit above yours. I think I'm gonna go with the two point nine. Um, it's there. There's some pleasant parts about it. Um, Wabasha's put out a lot better beers, though. I think that's super honest. I think that's super fair. I think we're both kind of in agreement. Um, yeah, not a bad beer. Just nothing that's going to blow me away. Can't really see standing out in my, my mind, but uh, it's fine. Yeah, Fun nothing. can art. I yeah. like the black matte can. Definitely like their artwork over at Wabasha. Is that a black matte can? No, that's a silver can with a black wrap. Okay. Really? Yep. Oh, there you go. Look at this. Yep. Weird that they chose a black lid, though. Well, I think that was just to kind of tie in the rest of it, make it all space. I guess. But if you're going to do wrap, like... I guess that. Well, no, they use the black wrap for a lot of their cans, don't they? I'm pretty sure. 
pop west coast popper has or the popper has a black wrap might be right i remember that one coming in bottles now too now that i think about it yeah um so and honestly cans have been kind of hard to find so it would make sense that uh no kidding yep black cap i'm sure it's a lot easier to find or black lid yeah but yeah well, you heard it here, 2.8 and 2.9 for the Space Monkey from Wabasha. It's an IPA. Check it out if you like Wabasha or IPAs. So. Mm-hmm. Or Space or Monkeys. <laughs> so, that's, I think we've covered most people. Most then. people. Yeah. Um, I thought about this most of the episode, too. I'm not going to rate a villain for this one, but I am going to put the human race in parentheses as villain numero uno. I can't bring myself to really put Fred Willard as a villain or Otto because it just seems kind of dumb and just kind of like a drone. Otto's whole thing was his job was, I mean, he was programmed to do his job. Follow orders. Yep. So at most, if you want to make Otto the villain, you'd have to blame whoever programmed him, which would be by and large... I guess by and large would essentially be the villain, but eh. Jeff Bezos is the villain, uh, right? Coming at my top spot, <laughs> number one spot for me too. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, um, <laughs> number followed up by Lotso. Yeah, exactly. Followed up by <laughs> <laughs> Barney's number three, um, and Ann Coulter's four. Uh, that's fair. Elon Musk coming in at, just eking in at number five. Eking in at number five. Yep. Maybe more powerful than Ann Coulter, but somehow just, just less despisable. Just by a touch. Yeah, exactly. Just, but just by a touch. Just by a touch. <laughs> What's that dumbass quote he said? Oh, I, talking about crypto, it was, uh, I don't, I only pump. Or I might pump, but I don't dump. I was like, no, you did it. We all saw you do it stop it it's fine it's fine we're not gonna get into that yeah that's, we're gonna that's for to, a different podcast we're gonna, we're gonna have a weird dual podcast with joe rogan now we should just uh do a second wally episode where we bring alex jones on please no <laughs> actually i would love to be a fly on the wall for that podcast but i have nothing to contribute yep i wouldn't want to contribute anything but i'd, I'd want to listen to it yes and I hate that I want to listen to it, but I would. I would do it. It could be two hours long. It doesn't matter. I'd listen to it. It's uh, Adam and Eve and the frog people and uh, the 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 fascist robots just driving the, the sphere. Not even the sphere. Driving the flat earth into the, the ground. I don't know what was don't, just said. Don't forget about this, the... Uh... The monuments on the other planets. The alien monuments. Yep, and, and the, the water. Yes. Tainted water. Well, that makes the frogs gay. <laughs> Alright, uh, where are you putting this movie? I'm putting it at my number seven spot. Um, basically middle of the pack. I think we watched 16 films at this point, And I think it's eking in just between the Toy Stories, three and four, I believe. Okay. Something like that. But yeah, definitely the number seven. Um, mine's a little bit lower. Um, I, I remembered liking this movie a lot more the first time I saw it. It's not that I didn't like it, but the, again, the whole 
weird date montage with a canatonic robot felt very strange to me um and also the the new no audio or no speaking parts felt i don't know it just i actually fell asleep twice um like i tried to watch it one night before going to bed fell asleep before the last 20 minutes and i tried to do the same thing like two days later and i fell asleep again those first 20 minutes are basically a lullaby yep uh, wouldn't recommend trying to watch it before going to bed. Or if you just need to catch some sleep, then yeah, definitely watch it. Uh, but I melatonin think... and then throw some Wally on. There you go. Uh, but I think I'm putting this at number nine. Uh, that would be just above Incredibles 2, I believe. That is correct. But below Toy Story 4. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Number nine. Well, all right. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Well, I think that brings us to an end of our Wally episode. Uh, if you enjoy what we do here on the show, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you got beer recommendations, do it. And we'll take those too. Um, we are active on Instagram. That's Suds Buds Pod. Suds S U D Z B U D Z Pod P O D at Gmail dot com as well. Or yeah, Suds Buds Pod at Instagram. Um, also, if you'd like to be featured in, in, in one of our terrifying but kind of fun to build Instagram posts, uh, just send me a selfie to that pic or to that email, and maybe I'll slip you in one of them. Ooh, it's kind that's, of fun. That's that's a good offer, Nate. Look <laughs> at you, really up in the game with the the fan community interaction. Like I said, it's it's more fun when like the more faces more faces I can like sneak onto it. It's just a little more fun. It's just a little more gimmicky. Um, I, I very much enjoy building these things. It's a fun actual exercise to build the logos, rebuild the logos every time, and then it's just a fun gimmick to put our faces onto it. There um, you go. Worked all morning on the Wally one, and it's pretty fun. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing it. I have yep. still not uh, not peeped that one yet. But, uh, yeah. Also worth mentioning, Nate and I are basically just children living in adult chassis and uh we've been talking a lot off air about maybe planning a uh, suds buds trip to disney world so ride all the pixar rides ride all the pixar rides Ooh. gopro it document it if that's something you'd like to see happen we'll get a venmo up and running and uh you guys can fund our our trip to disney <laughs> world for the ultimate uh, fan experience. If Basically, we... we'll have you fund our trip to Disney World, and then we're gonna start a Patreon and release it all behind a paywall. Oh my so, God. if I think even if one person contributed like ten dollars to it, I'd be I'd be pretty damn committed to going to fucking Disney World for it, dude. I would be hot. I would be on air the next week. Like we got ten dollars. If we can get twenty more dollars, that'll check one of our bags and be enough justification for us to go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like i need such little motivation to do this give me 15 dollars for a disney world lukewarm corn dog and we'll figure out travel accommodations and airfare <laughs> on our own uh yeah dude we'll get the park pass we'll go balls out uh it's gonna be wild it, we're gonna have a lot of fun apparently also there's a ratatouille ride that i was watching a video of today and it was very very interesting um yeah, yeah, we're gonna do this. Maybe we'll throw one of those clips up on the old, uh, the old IG. That could, that could work. I'd be into that. Heck yeah! Dub it with our screams. 
<laughs> just like casually rolling to its screen. We're just Row! imagine the Billy Corgan roller coaster where it's oh. wee, but it's just me and you screaming. I'm going to give out so many woos on those rides. But we've wasted enough of your time. Thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate you guys uh, being involved and listening. Also, last thing before I go, we're dragging on here, but uh, throw us a review or a rating where you listen to our podcast. That also goes a long ways, and we appreciate it. So we're up on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, PodMN. I don't know if we could have shilled any longer, but... No, we, we're, we're, we're basically just shills at this point. Yeah, and, and we make nothing off of this. So. Correct. <laughs> Continuing to shill is what we'll do. All right, well, uh, that wraps it for me. Uh, I need to drink some water because I am sweating bullets out here. In Come on, you, you don't want to drag this on for a long, I, another five minutes? I, I, think, I think I'm good. I'm good on the drag. Salsa Dave is pissed right now. He's like, <laughs> I need to cut this thing somewhere other than now. Yes. Uh, also, I would like to reaffirm that uh, Gin and Juice will be our closing song. And cut. I quit. Yeah, shit, nearly every single thing.
Choke. 